0: Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Well, uh, as uh, Ty said, um, he and I met through Devotions in Motion um, with Chris and Emily Danielson. And just an update on them, uh, Chris just recently, within the last couple weeks, accepted a senior pastorate in uh, Alabama. So I'm sure he would appreciate your prayers as he embarks on a new adventure. So... Um, I just wanted to uh, let you know that today um, we're going to talk about um, the characteristics of a Christ-focused life. Last time we spoke on I, I spoke on Colossians chapter two, and it talked about being rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, and um, it talked about how we need to live every day in the expectation and the belief that we are meant to follow Christ and do everything as He would have us to do it. And that He needs to be central um, in everything that we do. And so, today, um, the first word, actually... uh, um, Well, the first phrase of our passage today says, If you then be risen with Christ. And so it's talking about everything that we read in chapter 2 about how we are in Christ. We need to be rooted and established in Christ. And so everything that we discuss today um, is going to be a reflection of that. If we are living for Christ... The things in chapter 3 that need to characterize us are very clear, and so um, I'll just uh, let you know a little bit of what we're going to cover today, and uh, we will be talking about, first of all, a Christ-focused life will be about who you are, not who you were. Second of all, a Christ-focused life is an active life, and third of all, a Christ-focused life will be seen and felt in every aspect of your life. So those are the three places we're going to go today. Um, so let's start reading with Colossians chapter three, verses one to seven. Colossians three one to seven says, "If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God." Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness which is is idolatry idolatry for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in the which you also walked some time when you lived in them so Paul is saying if chapter 2 is true if you're rooted and grounded in Christ then you need to remember who you are if we're risen with Christ we need to seek the things that are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. This is a great reminder for us because we are called to be here on this earth. There's no doubt whatsoever that God put us here for a reason and that He wants us to live where we are. Um, There's an old saying that says, um, He's so heavenly minded, He's no earthly good. And the, the, the point behind that statement is good. That he thinks about heaven so much that he's never here on earth. But I think a better rendition of that saying is, you have to be heavenly minded to be earthly good. As we are heavenly minded, it influences everything we do here on this earth. And so if we are living in such a way as that we are living in the light of the fact that we are risen with Christ, people will see it. They'll see it in the things that we prize. The things that we think are important. I've always worked, when I've worked at companies, I've always worked for nonprofits that have not been able to provide me with high salaries because I always knew that I wanted to be about my father's business. I wanted to be about helping other people. And so sometimes that means that um, that comes at a cost, and um, you have to be willing to acknowledge and realize that. Um, and then it says something really key here in verse three: "For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God." Some people will take the attitude that God, um, that Jesus came to make bad people good. But the reality is that he came to make dead people alive. It says in Ephesians that we were dead in trespasses and sins, but God quickened us and brought us to himself through the power of the cross. And then it says, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then you shall appear with him in glory, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, And then he goes through a list of all different types of sins that we struggle with. And all of us, in one form or another, can probably find ourselves on this list. At one point or another. And even as believers, to a certain extent, if we're not careful. And as he goes through this list, he says, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience? Now, what one of us can say is that they have never been a child of disobedience? I have 19 nieces and nephews, and this past couple weeks, I've had my brother Simon and his wife staying with us with their three children while they're looking for housing. They finally found it a few days ago, so they've moved to Washington as of yesterday, where he'll be a marine recruiter. Very proud of him. But uh, he, his son, his oldest son Finn, one of his favorite words is "no." When you tell him to do something or when you ask him to do something, he likes to say "no." You don't have to teach a little kid to say "no." It comes naturally. You have to teach them to say "yes." So, um, so we've all children of disobedience. And then Paul says, In the which you also walk sometime when you lived in them. There was a time in my life when I lived in wickedness and disobedience before I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is speaking from experience here too because he walked completely diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he was throwing people in prison who stood for the way. He was consenting to the death of Stephen. I was just listening to a a preacher talk about that this morning, that Paul was there, and he held the coats of those who stoned Stephen, and Stephen, as he's being stoned, he said, I see the heavens open, and I see Jesus at the right hand of God, standing, waiting for me to come. And he says, and Stephen said, much like Jesus did, Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. And again, just as at the cross, people began to believe in Jesus almost immediately, like the centurion who said, surely this man was the son of God. It didn't take much longer before Paul was met on the road to Damascus. And he did a 180 and he became from one of the chief zealots against God. one of the chief zealots for God, one who shook the world and went to the Gentiles and shared with them the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus. And so, we see this situation where God is telling us that we need to forget what we were to a certain extent. Holy we were can always be a lesson to us, but Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on towards the high calling, which is mine in Christ Jesus. And if anybody had things to forget from what was behind, it was Paul. He had the blood of Stephen on his hands, but he probably had the blood of many others on his hands. But God said and Ananias, Paul, I've chosen you go do my work and Paul probably remained amazed by that we know he remained amazed by that throughout his life because as he got closer to God he thought less of himself he said I'm the least of the apostles and then he said that Christ came and died for the for all sinners, of whom I am chief. And so what what Paul is saying to us here is that if God has changed your life, you need to push on. You need to put behind you the past, to embrace the future. Because you're a new person. You're not the same person you were. You have the same shell, but you're not the same person. Think about the Apostle Peter who ran in fear and denied that he ever knew Jesus. That was in the end of the Gospels. So think about it this way. It was the end of John when he denied the Lord. And a few weeks later, in chapter 3 of Acts, he stood up and powerfully proclaimed that if you must know by whose power this lame man stands before you whole, be it known unto you that it is through the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. And Peter called him the Prince of Life. But Peter in Acts chapter 3 and 4 was not the same Peter as in the end of John. He was a changed Peter. A new Peter. And God can do the same thing for you. If someone could read 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. If you get to it, stand and read it for us. Please. For Christ's love compelled us to take Convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. If he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was again. So Paul is saying, we're compelled by what God has done, and knowing that Christ died for all, and that if Christ died for you you need to live for Him. You need to stop living for yourself. See, Paul was, Paul was living for himself. He had everything going for him. Oh, oh, he was the, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said, everything I had before my conversion, as far as the world is concerned, I was living the life. I had everything that the world says is important. But then he said later, I count it all, but lost that I might win Christ. And we have thousands and thousands of martyrs around the world who are still doing that today. There's more people today that die for the sake of the gospel than ever before. And why? Because they refuse to keep their mouth shut because they know that Jesus is the hope. I want to just share with you this story. This London businessman Lindsey Craig told the story of a warehouse property he was selling. The building had been empty for months and needed repairs. Vandals had damaged the doors, smashed the windows, and strewn trash in the interior. As he showed a prospective buyer the property, Craig took pains to say that he would replace the broken windows, bring in a crew to correct any structural damage and clean out the garbage. Forget about the repairs, the buyer said. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. I don't want the building, I want the site. (coughs) Compared with the renovation God has in mind, our efforts to improve our own lives are as trivial as sweeping a warehouse slated for the wrecking ball. When we become gods, the old life is over. 2 Corinthians 5.17 He makes all things new. All he wants is the site and the permission to build. And that was from a man named Ian Wilson. I just think that's very applicable to what we're talking about today. Forget what was in the past. We're no longer the same person. Paul's change of life was so dramatic that he changed his name. He no longer wanted to be known as Saul of Tarsus because he wasn't Saul of Tarsus. He was Paul the Apostle of Christ. I've experienced similar feelings. There's a song that Matthew West came out with a few years ago. said, My name is child of the one true king. And when I struggle, I think of that song. Because I know that whatever happens to me, I'm a child of the one true king, and nothing can change that. Paul said, I'm convinced that nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And for a while I actually had my, as you, know, you can set your theory, to call you anything you want. And for a while I had her calling me child of the one true king. So every time I, I asked my theory for assistance for something, she would remind me of my title. The only title that matters. So our first point is a Christ-focused life will be about who you are, not who you were. Our second point is that a Christ-focused life is an active life. Colossians 3, 8 to 16. Colossians 3, 8 to 16 says, But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filled the communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, and if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so, our next thing is that the Christian life is an active life. And I think it's very important that we have balance here because there are sometimes when we work so hard to do the right thing that we're not letting God do His work in us. The Psalms say, Be still and know that I am God. And we can't take these things away from us by ourselves, but yet God calls us to action. And so He's saying, Put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and social communication out of your mouth. We can't do it on our own, but if we call upon the Spirit of God and ask Him to change us, He will. And as just lying not to one another, seeing you know, put off the old man with his deeds. There's another passage that Paul says: "There's there's another member warring in me, because our sin, our, our sinful self, to a certain extent, as long as we're on this earth, is going to be in a in a constant struggle with our new person. But we know that God will prevail." And then put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And remember, we were created in the image of God. And essentially what we did when we fell in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, we tarnished that image. We got away from the perfect image of God. And, and Jesus said, in my perfection, I'm going to give you perfection so that that image can be restored, so that that relationship can be, can be restored. And then he says there's no longer the dividing line that we often put up in this world. There's no such thing as a Greek or a Jew or a circumcised or non-circumcised, a barbarian, a Scythian, a bond or a free version. But Christ is all and in all. There's a, there's a song out right now called We All Believe the Same and it talks about how we're all the same in Jesus Christ. And so, as we talked about, you know, putting off all these things, all these bad things, you need to put them off. Then it says to put on certain things. Because if you put off without putting on, you leave a place for the bad to come back. Jesus tells a story about a man who is cleansed of a demon. And and, and it's, it's like a picture of a house being swept clean. But then the man leaves it empty and the demon leaves and comes back with his friends, and it says the condition of that man was worse than it was in the first place. When you get rid of evil things, when you get rid of evil companions, when you get rid of anything that's bringing you down, there will be a void in your life. So what do you do with it? Do you leave it as a void? No, you need to put on good things. That's why it says in verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God Holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. It's a human tendency to not want to forgive others, but to expect God to forgive us. And Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother, how can I forgive you? and then then it says let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you are called in one body and be thankful
1: do
0: you realize how much an attitude of thankfulness helps in this process if we walk around being bitter we just heard brother Todd talk about Naomi and how she came back from Moab and she was bitter she said the Lord has brought me here empty not even realizing the gem that she had in Ruth because Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you. I'll never leave your side. Apparently, the thought, if anything but death, parts you and me. It's the complete antithesis of the mother in law Joe. She never used them, I'm sure. Because to her her mother in law was the most precious thing. And even though, I, I love it because even though you could tell that Naomi wasn't perfect, and even though she was bitter, there still must have been something in Naomi that showed the truth of the God of Israel. Because Ruth said, my God, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. That's a legacy. That's the type of thing that I want people to say of me, not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is in me. Paul said, imitate me, even as I also imitate Christ. That's a prayer that I have for my life, is that I would be an imitator of Christ, such that when people imitate me, because, my, my friends, it's a mistake to believe that no one will imitate you. Whoever you are, there are people that want to be you. Remember, there was a freshman that came into our school this year and he told one of the teachers about one of the junior students that he wanted to be like. And so she told that student because she wanted to motivate him that this person wants to be like you. Continue to keep your standard high because he's watching you. Charles Barley once famously said in an ad campaign, I am not a role model, my friends. You are a role model whether you think so or not. The question is not whether you are a role model. The question is, what are you modeling? Maya, I was listening to the radio and and there was a host on there who was talking about how his daughter is starting to imitate everything he says when he's in traffic. So it's changed the way he responds to traffic, because when he hears back the things that he says, he realizes that the things that he says are not that good. (laughs) So, these are things we need to be mindful of. I've heard it said that every person should have a Paul that they can look up to, and a Timothy that they can train. And if you live yourself... In that mindset, where you're either training Timothy's or learning from Paul, it can help you to live a balanced life and to keep always on the vigilant lookout to realize that the things that you do are not in a bubble, but they affect others. We like to think that we can make an isolated decision and it's not going to affect other people, but it's not true, because the things we do do affect other people. Okay, so our first point was a Christ focused life will be about who you are and not who you were. Our second point, a Christ focused life is an active life. And I wonder if we could read by cross reference 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8. This is the call from Peter, much like the one from Paul in this chapter. accurate? Yes. Okay. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith
1: goodness. And the goodness, knowledge. And the knowledge, self-control. And the
0: self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And the godliness, mutual affection. And the mutual affection, love. For if you possess
1: these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: There's another passage that says knowledge puffeth up. So we have to add knowledge to our faith. Because our faith tells us to be humble. Our faith says to put others before ourselves. And then as we we have the faith, and as we have that in perspective, then we can add knowledge because it's not going to puff us up. It's going to be used to edify the body. And Peter is saying that if we're always... Striving for these good things. Then we'll be benefited. Why? Because we won't be focusing on the bad things. We will focus on something. You, you. Sometimes the world likes to say that you can clear your mind and totally not be thinking about anything. But I don't think that's ever been the case in my life. I'm always going to be thinking about something. So, my responsibility as a believer is to think on the things that are lovely, that are pure, that are excellent, that are of good report. Because the Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Again, no such thing as isolated thought. So our third point a Christ focused life. Will be seen and felt in every aspect of life. Again, as I've said a couple of times, you can't do something in isolation. Whatever you prioritize will spill over into your life. There's an old song about the cats in the cradle. And it's basically about a guy who was a workaholic as a dad, never around for his son. And then his son grows up and the dad wants to spend time with him. But he learns how to be a workaholic from his dad. And so his son never wants to spend time with his dad. As important as work is, May we not let it take away from our responsibilities to our family. That's what this third section is about from 17 to 25. Verse 17 says, And whatsoever you do in word or or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And then Paul's going to go ahead and he's going to lay out some family responsibilities. You see, He just said, in Christ there's no male or female. But that does not mean that you don't have specific jobs, specific roles that God has for you. Because God's blueprint still has that in effect. He made you different for a reason. The world says there is no difference. The world says equality means sameness. But if everybody was a quarterback, the NFL team would never go to the Super Bowl. If everyone was a head coach, no one would make the decisions that would make that team better. And if everyone was a defender, no one would be able to carry the ball down the field on offense. Every role is necessary. Verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things that your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye servants as man-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So let's just look at this for a second. It says, wife, submit yourself unto your own husband, as is fit unto the Lord. Obviously, there's limits to the submission. The second part of that phrase is so important. But God placed the man over the woman in the marriage relationship. And some people say it's because of the fall that that happened. But I would submit to you that that is incorrect. Because there's two reasons for it that have nothing to do with sin whatsoever. The first being that the man was created first and given dominion over the garden before the woman was placed with him. The second being that the woman was created from man. The man was created from the dust of the ground. And God breathed into him and and into his nostrils, and he became a living soul. But the woman was created from man. To me, that means that I have an awesome responsibility to the women in my life. And that if God ever sees fit to give me a wife, that I need to be a servant leader. Because the next verse says, husbands, love your wife. And be not bitter against them. If a husband is loving his wife properly, she should have no problem submitting to his authority. And then it says, Children. I see some children here. <laughs> children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well pleasing to the Lord. So he talked to wives. Then he talked to husbands. Then he's talking to children, and then he says to this, Fathers, we have Father's Day coming up very soon. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eyes, servants, as man pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And then he basically repeats in slightly different words, verse 17, it says. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Because you know, sometimes the men that we're called to serve, they're going to be difficult men. A good person to think about in this regard is Daniel. Daniel served not one, not two, not three, but four pagan kings. Four of them. And yet he was always respected and he never compromised his values. Because whatever his hand found to do, he did it heartily, as unto the Lord, and not unto men. And he understood what it means to obey them in the Lord, too, because when they told him to do things that were not of the Lord, he said no. Daniel chapter 1 says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. And Daniel chapter 6, when they tried to trick him and and get him to, to give up praying, he opened his window and continued to pray three times a day, even though he meant going into the lion's deck. He didn't compromise his values, and neither should we. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. The real rewards that are worth pursuing are the rewards that we receive from Jesus Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect for persons. Now we can all put ourselves in that place of the person that did wrong. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he's put himself in that gap. He's become that wrong person for us. He became sin for us that knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We often think about the physical torture of our Lord, and surely it was amazing, and we can't comprehend the depth of it we really don't understand what was going on in the spiritual realm during that time so long ago. We don't understand what it is to have to cry with the psalmist, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why are you so far from helping me? Maybe we have cried that because we felt, we have felt that way, but it's never been true for the believer because... He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why is he able to say that? Because Jesus was forsaken. That's why. So, in review, characteristics of a Christ focused life is a Christ focused life will be about who you are, not who you were. I was a sinner bound for hell, and now I'm a saint bound for heaven. A Christ-focused life is an active life. Christ has expectations for us, things that He wants us to do through His power and through His Spirit. There was a time in my life when I knew God was calling me to preach, but I said, God, I can't do that. And he said, who made your mouth? Have not I, the Lord, go and I will tell you what to speak. See, I spent a lot of time in the early years of my salvation telling God, hey, if you had given me a healthy body, then I could serve you for the first nine years that I was saved, I knew my eternal destiny, my temporal destiny, sunk. And I told God regularly that it did. But when when I was 13 years old and my baby brother passed away, I hit rock bottom. I wanted to end my life. I didn't want to be around. I just wanted to go to heaven. I said, God, why didn't you take me and leave my brother because I'm absolutely useless and what followed was the worst year of my entire life. But God never let go of me through that year. He held on tight and finally in June of 2014 he broke through and he said, Andrew, I don't need to change the outside of you to use you. I just need you to allow me to change the inside and when you allow me to start working on the inside I will do great and marvelous things that you know not. And He's done that. I've been working in jail ministry for for 17 years, this October. I've been able to um, be on live radio with Chris and Emily and continue my radio work, so to speak, through my podcast. It's been a blessing. They don't charge me a dime to record this. I don't have to worry about all the discussions I hear on, on podcasts about podcasts about what equipment you're going to use because I get to use a radio studio. I get to have people in to interview them because I have the space to do that. I have two, not one but two men who volunteer their time just to produce my show when they know I can't afford to pay. I get the opportunity to travel Michigan and sometimes out of state to preach the Word of God. And five years ago, if you were to tell me, or seven years ago, if you were to tell me that I'd be working in a school, that was totally off my radar. Being homeschooled, I was like, there's no way I'm going to end up working in a school. But today I work for Potter's House Christian School. And I get to impact children, every day with the love of Jesus Christ. And it's the best job I've ever had. And all the no's, all the refusals, all the rolled eyes at interviews, they all make sense now. Because God had a plan that I knew nothing of. He says I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think, and He's done that for me. There are still some things I'm praying for. I'm still praying for a wife. I know she's out there somewhere. As my family gets smaller and smaller by way of marrying and leaving, it's harder and harder to just be at home and be alone. But I know that God has a plan. I'm working on paying off my van. I have just over $5,000 less to pay on it and that means I've paid about $24,000 in two years which is awesome if you'd be interested in, in helping to continue that I can give you more details I want to get it paid off for the glory of God but it's been a dependable vehicle that's gotten me to and from work every day and with my Sunday responsibilities I've put on about twelve hundred miles a week minimum. And I've been faithful. And God has been good. But see, He's good even when I don't think so. So my greatest blessings have come out of my greatest complaining. And a humble. I wonder if we can look at Romans 14, verse 8. Just on this last point, a Christ-focused life will be seen and felt in every aspect of life. I saw this shirt actually online that said, Warning, I may start talking about Jesus at any time. And I commented on it on Facebook that I, I... Really needs a shirt. So um, one of my friends actually had an iron-on transfer made for me with that on there. So I'm still, uh, I still need to get a shirt to put it on. But I'm excited about that because that really is me. To the point that I actually had a cousin tell me once to stop sending her religious garbage. Even though I hadn't really deliberately sent her anything. It's just who I am. Romans 14, verse 8, if someone has that, they can read that for us.
1: If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord.
0: Isn't that a comforting thought? There was a, another school shooting in Texas this week. And every time it happens, I weep. Because I I say to the Lord, how how long, how long are you going to let this go on and not come back and make everything right? And of course, working in a school now, I'm even more sensitive to it. We have to do lockdown drills every few months. We did an escape drill a few weeks ago, so it makes you think. But I know that wherever I am, I'm in God's hands. No one can take my life from me unless he says it's okay. I've had two or three times when I thought that my life was over. And each time, God saw fit to deliver me. And that shows me that until He decides My life is over. I'm invincible. It doesn't mean that I should go do foolish things. But it does mean that whatever he has for me, he will equip me to do and he'll leave me here until he's done. Paul was able to say when he died, or right before he died, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course which the Lord has laid out for me. And now it's laid up for me a crown of life which the Lord has promised not just to me, but on all those who love his appearance. Paul's saying, I'm getting this reward. But it's not exclusive to me. It's not because I'm the Apostle Paul. It's because of who he is. And you can have it too. In closing, I just want to share this. Rudyard Kipling once wrote about families. All of us are, we, and everyone else is they. A family shares things like dreams, hopes, possessions, memories, smiles, frowns, and gladness. A family is a clan held together with the glue of love and the cement of mutual respect. A family is a shelter from the storm, a friendly port when the waves of life become too wild. No person is ever alone who is a member of a family. And I believe it's the Psalm that says, God puts the solidarity in families. That's why he wants us to view Christianity and in the, in the, um, following God as a familial structure. He says that we're a family. He says that you and I are, if we believe in him, that we're adopted sons and daughters of God. Paul said it's, it's by him that we cry Abba Fa. Abba just means daddy. He can call the creator of the universe dad. And I know for my dad who who doesn't really remember his dad because his dad died when he was four, he has a really unique relationship because of that. Because God said that he would be a father to the father and lives in the of the widow. But, you know, nothing in Roger Kipling's St. May here about the family being a shelter in a storm or any of those good things can really be possible without the power of Christ. The devil is having a field day with the family right now. We're told in the world that the family can have any structure we want it to have, That it's not right for it to have a specific definition. But God laid out his blueprint right here. We just read it. It's not an optional thing, folks. These are commands for our good. To better us to make us the people that He wants us to be, and to make us attractive to the world in a way that will say, I want to change life. The problem with a lot of Christianity today is we say, you're okay the way you are. Come to Christ the way you are, which is what we should say, but we don't encourage them to change. See, Christ took me where I was. Even as that hurt and bitter 13-year-old kid. He took me where I was, but he didn't leave me there. He said, you may be that 13-year-old kid right now that's bitter against me, but you can't stay there. You may have a certain struggle with sin right now that God wants to deal with you on, but you can't stay there. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Does that mean that we don't need each other to help us along the journey? No. But it means that if God is really working in your life, you can't help but change.
1: That's
0: what this whole life is about. That's why we need Colossians chapter 3. Because it's not enough to make a, a one-time Stand to be rooted and grounded in Christ, you have to move on from chapter 2 to chapter 3 and say, so I'm going to incorporate these characteristics in my life, and it's not going to be me that does it, but it's going to be God. But see, there's such a balance there because Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, and then in chapter 2 he says, But then in one twenty seven he talks about living a life that will be pleasing to God and being deliberate about that. In chapter two, he says, For it is God who worketh in you to willing to do of his good pleasure. But then there's other passages where he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If we have a relationship with somebody, it's a two way street. I can't say I have a relationship with you. And just, oh well, I shouldn't just keep you on my phone as a contact and never call you, never spend time with you. If you are married, you chose to be with that person because you wanted to spend your life with them. And your marriage will only work if you communicate with one another. If you prioritize that. The Bible says that if a man is married, his priority is to please his wife. And there's no sin in that. As a matter of fact, dynamic ministry can come out of that. I think in our church, we often preach wrongly that it's either ministry or marriage. When in fact, what this world needs so much now is marriages that show the honor and glory of God and the correct picture of the relationship between Christ and His church. We miss that. We don't even believe it in our churches a lot of times. How can we expect the world to believe it? I just hope you'll be encouraged to think about these characteristics we are talked about, to be active in your Christian life, to realize that being a passive Christian doesn't work. It says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, you know what? It can't dwell in you richly if you're not reading it. It's amazing to me, still, I'm as guilty of this as anyone, but you watch a movie, and when you log away from that movie, you can recite all the clippy lines, all the funny stuff, maybe sometimes the not-so-funny stuff, But when you sit down to memorize scripture, the devil's right there. and He doesn't want you to do it. And all of a sudden, it becomes the hardest thing in the world. But that's where the life is. You can't stand up against lies unless you know the truth. That's the mission of speaking for him. Because I see so many in the church that need to draw closer to God, myself included. But if we're going to draw the world in, we need to be close to the Master. Jesus didn't do fireworks displays. He didn't do flashy shows. He just said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said to the woman at the well, I am your Messiah. And He told her everything she ever did and she went back to her people and she said, come see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could He be the Messiah? That's the type of thing that we need to be That's the type of Jesus. That is the only Jesus that there's power in. That's the one we need to show other people hope and pray that you will be encouraged to do that I actually had to be rescheduled because I was going to come in June and then I found out that it was your community service Sunday which I think is so awesome that you still do that being the hands and feet of Jesus is so important may I encourage you to continue to do that with all your might whatever you do do it heartily as unto the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Colossians chapter 3. We thank you for the boldness of Paul. Lord, we just pray that these characteristics would would permeate us, that they would be um, real in our lives, that we would love deeply, that we would be bold for you, that we would be unashamed of the truth, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, to that.
1: Thank you so much for that.